Welcome to The Bottleneck. The Bottleneck is a podcast dedicated to the love of factory and automation games. We're here to bring you the latest news and game reviews in the genre. I'm your host, Dave, joined by my fellow co-host, longtime friend, and virtual drinking buddy, Chris. Also joining us this week is our audio engineer, Kamal. Kamal is also a longtime friend and fellow drinking buddy. The three of us have a strong friendship going back decades. We're a few guys who have decades of gaming experience across a variety of gaming genres, who in the past couple of years, well, Chris and Dave have shared a deep appreciation for factory and automation games, and they've recently gotten me into them. So we received some feedback on the podcast in the past few weeks. One of the things we heard is that we're not drinking nearly enough, so we're going to sneak in an extra what's-in-your-glass portion right now. So, Chris, what are you drinking right now? I'm drinking a unfiltered kiwi wheat from Boulevard Brewing Company. Just a light American wheat beer. Supposedly it's hazy. I don't know, drinking it out of the can, but it's got a little sweetness, a little sweeter than I like, but to be expected with kiwi. Overall, though, it's a pretty delicious beer. How about you? Uh, I am drinking one of my all-time favorites, a zombie dust. It's an American Pale Ale from Three Floyds in Indiana, which is pretty close to me, uh, the brewery. Um, this was one of the beers at my wedding. Um, it's just a incredibly drinkable pale ale. Just really, really good. Kamal, what are you drinking? I'm having one of the last Great Lakes Christmas ales of the season. It was a little bit of a cold day today, and hopefully we're not going to have too many more of those. So it's my last chance to enjoy one of these. Very nice. I drank my last one a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's two of my favorite beers right there. Zombie Dust and Great Lakes Christmas Ale. Likewise. In terms of current events and news in the factory and automation genre, Satisfactory had a small bug fix patch last week. It also allowed Epic Games users to use their friends list in Epic rather than just their Steam friends uh, for finding people in multiplayer. So that could be useful for those who use Epic Games a lot and have a lot of Epic Games friends. I'm not sure that that person exists, but if they do, more power to you. The Steam Deck was obviously also released since our last episode. Um, Factorio is playable but they announced that they're working on a patch to make it more deck-friendly so that it works a little better. Uh, Both Dyson Sphere Program and Satisfactory are listed as playable. Um, Who knows if those will get any changes made so that they're more playable or uh, supported fully by the Steam Deck. Yeah, definitely check out the ProtonDB website that has a full listing of all games and their compatibility with Proton. Steam is also working on a way to filter the store for games that are com- uh, for games based on their com- compatibility with the Steam Deck. I don't have a Steam Deck yet. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to get one, but if I do, I will definitely want to play Factorio and DSP on it, so hopefully they'll keep working on those. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I just dropped a couple hundred, a couple thousand on a brand new gaming laptop and 
you know, need to let the the bank account recover a little bit. Yeah, of I've course, got the switch for portable gaming. So right, uh, yeah. And if I were to if I were to do the Steam Deck, I'd of course go for the six hundred fifty dollar model. I got to have the the best if they're putting it out there. So definitely, yeah. You know, got a got a plan for that that next purchase. Uh, speaking of another automation and factory gaming news, Satisfactory, well, rather Coffee Stain, their, their developers released a video this week talking about the features that will never come to Satisfactory. They outlined that there'll be no world destroying or terraforming in there. They also won't put in green energy, meaning no solar panels or wind power. They said the reason for that is they wanted the pressure of having a limited amount of resources. And if they did solar and wind, then there was unlimited, you know, there wasn't a bottleneck somewhere. So by keeping green energy out of there, they're forcing the player to have to balance the kind of energy that they use. Um, there's also going to be no expansion to the combat. So the little bit of combat that's in there is all that it's going to be. They're not going to do any base defense no waves of enemies. So what you see is what you get when it comes to that. And the main reason for that, they wanted to build it as a chill game, something that you can do at your own pace. There's no outside pressure of enemies attacking you. So I get it. I fully support that. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Based on our gameplay and what we've talked about in the past, that's, I feel that's going to be most of the, of the population in the genre are going to want that. And speaking of Satisfactory, it was in the Humble Bundle for the Ukraine support. Um, by the time you listen to this podcast, it may be too late, so we're sorry about that. But you know, if you did happen to pick it up in that bundle, it was a great deal for it. Uh, it wasn't a great deal just for that. It was $40 for the whole bundle, but for 124 games, definitely worth it. Absolutely. And there were a couple other games that I've played in the past, like the uh, Long Dark and what was the other one I mentioned? The Long Dark and Slay the Spire. Yes, there are definitely some good ones in there. I think yes. Slay the Spire is my top all-time played Steam game. So That's a great one. And then Rift Breaker is 20% off on GOG or good old games. It's definitely near the top of our list soon, so keep an eye out. We'll be reviewing that one at some point in the future. It seems to have a lot more of uh, almost like an RTS feel or like a tower D defense where you have to do some automation, some production, but you also have to defend your, your base. Tectonica was announced this week with the trailer. It's a first-person automation game with fully destructible environment. In fact, the purpose of it is you're supposed to kind of cave out a big factory within uh, the underworld, under underground. Looks very promising. There's a grid-like Dyson Sphere program and Factorio where you can line things up. There's the usual belts and buildings, and they already announced that they plan to have a four-player co-op. So that'll be a good one for you guys that want to play the game with your friends. Yeah, I actually picked up the Humble Bundle today, thanks to Chris pointing it out to me. And it looks like a great way to catch up with a lot of games you guys have already uh, played or told me about in the past. And of course, supports a great cause. Couldn't agree more on that. Cube Factorium is going to be the game that we talk about this week on the podcast. 
It was released in July of 2019 by Neo Materia Games, which is a single developer who had a single graphics artist helping him. The game is an impressive achievement for a two-person team. It's a bit of a mix between a management game and a factory game. Sometimes you might wish it had just picked one of them to be rather than trying to do both. Um, it has a campaign mode, which is the primary way I would say to play the game. I managed to finish a bit more than half of it before this review. It's a good way to gradually introduce the concepts of the game. On the first island, you have a few colonists. You can assign them tasks like cutting wood, mining stone, building buildings, and then making some refined products from the wood and the stone. Everything needs to be stored in storage depots, which take up a lot of space. I believe you can set it to manually assign colonists to jobs if you turn that setting on, but I never did. The default is to have them sort of automatically decide what they're doing based on what orders you've given in general. You can set colored zones on the map and restrict colonists to only work in certain zones to help them prioritize better as well. You can collect food and decoration and build decorations and recreational buildings uh, in order to keep your colonists happy, which increases their walking and working speed. They don't die or anything like that. They just stay unhappy if they don't get what they want, and they work, I think, 20% slower. Um, and then they work 20% faster if they're all the way happy instead of just somewhat satisfied. Each island in the campaign has a set of guidelines for items you need to create to finish the island. At first, it's fairly simple items, but as you move to other islands, what you need to make gets more and more complex. Once you finish everything required on that island, you can load your ship up with everything you've stored and go on to the next island. Starting on, I believe, the fourth island... Uh, possibly the third, you start making conveyor belts and automated production facilities. Up until that point, your colonists had been doing everything by hand, but now you have storage facilities that can pass items to other facilities or conveyor belts and workshops that can automatically take in items and produce things. You need power for all that, which is initially provided by your colonists or some animals running on treadmills, but soon you can feed wood or other materials into a full-blown power plant instead. The power system is a bit op opaque and difficult to figure out initially when you have treadmill power. Um, it only provides power when your colonists are actually walking on it, and it doesn't necessarily provide all the power it says it does. I had some trouble getting the power to getting the treadmills to provide full power to all my buildings, but once you get actual power plants running, that helps a lot. As you move forward through the islands, you get more resources available to harvest, more metals come into play, and there are more ways of processing them. The supply chains can get pretty complex, but there is a distinct lack of space on the map. A lot of things like storage and making food and wood take up a ton of space. There are several ways to move goods around efficiently to improve logistics, like horse depots and zeppelins, but that only goes so far in making things accessible. You also need to expand the land you build and gather by uh, building bonfires at the edges of your territory, which are another annoyance because they make for just random squares in the middle of everything you're trying to build that you need to build around. Apparently later in the campaign, there's also some combat. There are some enemy colonists or something like that and other enemy buildings, but I didn't quite reach that part. I got to a point where trying to cram everything into my map became more frustrating interesting so I stopped playing there but I could definitely see myself going back to it later at some point 
One of the last mechanics I'll get to is the trading post you can build. You can sell items off for gold and use that gold to fill holes in your production chains, which is very helpful. For example, on some islands, you don't have the right terrain to grow tomatoes or strawberries, but some colonists still want them in order to be happy, so you can trade for them with the trading post. Or if you don't feel like mining lots of stone, maybe you can buy some raw stone from the trading post, selling off something like gold bars that sells for a lot of money. Yeah, so in regards to the initial impressions, so far I've played about 15 hours. I completed half the campaign through the fourth island and just kind of got bored of the campaign at that point. I think it was a pain in the butt because you had to restart on every single island, rebuilding your entire production and supply chains again. So I ended up starting a new map. The mechanics of the enemies when you encounter them in the maps are kind of annoying because you don't get to fight them. You don't get to drive them off. Instead, you have to pay them off. So it wants 15 wooden boards or 15 wooden handles or 15 ingots of iron or something. So there's really no combat to it, at least none that I've come across. And then you still have to put down the bonfires or the big bonfires, which you end up having to move. And if you delete them and then you can't build over there, it kind of becomes a pain in the butt to move them around. You know, one of the big things was the lack of space. There wasn't a lot of space to build. You have to expand so much and then people are running around crazy and I don't have the time to set up the color zones. But overall, I thought the stack sizes are too small for the items that you're making. Some of them are only one stack in the in the case of like charcoal you know it might be four stacks in the case of the the uh the modular wooden pieces i forget what they're called exactly but you can't move anything around you have to destroy it rebuild it there's no blueprinting there's no cut and pasting and autonauts there's a live you can just move buildings around or factorio when you unlock the uh logistic bots you can literally cut and paste sections of your base to other parts if even if you just need to move it one square over it's not very flexible having to destroy it all rebuild it and then i guess i just haven't built my base large enough yet but things like horse depots i really don't see a a need for them it takes more time to set it up than i've really found a use for them at this time yeah for me in case you couldn't tell from my description i don't dislike the game but i'm not really that into it either There's a lot of interesting mechanics, but maybe a few too many, and the difficulties of expanding and finding place between the cliffs and the trees and the storage depots, it just all gets kind of tedious after a while. You can have your colonists remove some things, and you'll need some of those resources, but I was getting to the point where I had massive storage depots full of clay and stone that was just a huge pain to deal with. Some of it could be sold off through the trading posts, but then I'd have to like process it into blocks so that I could sell it, and I really just couldn't be ours to do that. The different islands of the campaign, like you said, they're kind of a mixed blessing. Uh, it can be kind of nice to get a new fresh space while keeping what you produced in the last spot, but chances are before too long you're going to need to start producing more of that, and then you don't have any of your production lines from before, so you need to actually just rebuild all those. And then you're back to having no space now that you've rebuilt all those. At some point when I'm in between other games, I could definitely see myself going back to see how things go on a random map, which I think could be more fun than just doing the campaign like I've done so far. But right now, you know, having played through half the campaign, a little more than half the campaign, it was it was interesting, but 
you know, if I want a management game, I'm going to play RimWorld. And if I want a factory and automation game, I'm going to play DSP or Factorio instead. So at this point, we like to give our kind of like scores to each section of the game. From gameplay to balance, controls, graphics and sound, weight, replayability, and then an overall score. And starting with gameplay, I've mostly been playing it on the assist mode, so I haven't gone into the expert mode, allowing you to find finely tune or get into the minutia of all your colonists. This isn't the type of game, as Dave was saying earlier, that I want to have to do that you know, play the whole rim world aspect where you really get down and micromanaging and doing priorities. So I've kept it on the assist mode. I think it helps a little bit. I do again, gripe that there's not a lot of space to build the ores and items on the map can be really finite. Some things are, are infinite when you plant trees and crops, but ores, clay, things like that are really finite. And then you have to start trading for them using the shipyard uh, one of the issues I have with the shipyard is, again, this is probably because I'm on the assist mode, but I can't tell it what I want to trade. It's whatever you tell your colonists to put in the shipyard, get sold off, and then whatever you have the shipyard pointing to a stockpile, whatever that stockpile is demanding is what you'll buy from the shipyard. But it's real hard. You can't just go in and buy 20 or something. It'll just literally keep buying and buying and buying until it's filled up. One of the things, speaking of inputs and outputs with the stockpiles, I guess I didn't pay attention, but you don't actually need to do that. You only need to have the output to a specific, actually, you don't even need that. If you don't set up an importer or output, it'll just grab from an available stockpile and it'll put it into a stockpile that's demanding that item. So you don't have to do importer or outputs. That's only if you want to get granular with it and do specific stockpiles, but it's not necessary. Uh, I believe you need to have an output stockpile for most buildings, but the input the, can pull from anywhere. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. And I didn't realize that until well after the the tutorial when I was already playing on the big map. Okay. Um, a lot of my feedback on gameplay is the same as what you said. I don't really want to micromanage. The game handled itself pretty well on assist mode, but there's still manages to be a lot of tedium in getting everything set up. With something like Factorio or DSP, you might eventually devolve your base into some really ugly spaghetti but it can still be really fun and seeing what kind of crazy stuff you build is actually part of the fun. But with Cuba Factorium, you basically start with spaghetti, having to build around things in weird ways, and it's just extremely frustrating to deal with. Next thing we're going to talk about is balance. Unsurprisingly for a, a single developer, I suspect they didn't have a ton of playtesters. It's rather difficult to get the right goods in the right places. The recipes are kind of weird and out of whack and hard to assemble. The distraction of keeping colonists happy could add some variety, but the fact that some of them have very specific requirements at random times usually just makes it annoying and makes me want to not really manage it because it's not like it gives you that much of a boost anyways. Yeah, I'm with you on that. A lot of the recipes don't make sense from what I've seen. Why am I inputting two logs to get one finished board out of it? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it should be a log goes in, you get two or more boards out of it. 
or why am I inputting two rocks to make one stone block? You know, that doesn't make sense. So I think the balance is off a little bit. There's a little bit too much reductionist in the inputs in terms of what you get on the output. What, you don't just glue two rocks together to make a block? Right? (laughs) Yeah, it literally doesn't make sense to me how some of these are set up. I get it's a video game. I mean, they're making blocks out out of rocks to start with, but I expect maybe a little bit of realism for a cartoony game, but I don't know. Maybe I'm asking a lot. Maybe I'm just off my rocker on that, but I expect a little bit more from recipe balance, I guess. And then the next section is the controls for the game. Uh, this is probably one of the best things I liked about the game. I thought the controls are easy. They were common sense. I had no issues. Uh, in some sections of the game, it's almost a mouse only game in terms of getting around the interface that's a very much aligned to other colony management games like RimWorld. You don't have a lot of hotkeys you really have to do in that game if you don't want to. Similar with this one, there isn't a ton of hotkeys. There's a simple bar across the bottom with all the different menus. So you can click around as you need. I agree. Controls were pretty good. Um, assigning things to each other works really well. It's pretty easy to give orders or decide what to build. Each building is uh, building things and assigning things in each building is pretty intuitive. Generally, I wasn't thrilled too much with the UI. It's only okay. It can be kind of hard to find what you want. The buttons are kind of small. There's some information along the top that's hard to see and parse until you've really played the game a fair bit. But it's not too bad. <clears throat> the next piece is graphics and sound. It's got the, the voxel Minecraft style. Despite it never seeming like you have enough room to build what you want on the map, some things still just seem kind of too small. It can be hard to tell exactly what you're looking at without clicking on it. I want to be zoomed out a lot so that I can manage my whole base and build things all over the place, but then it's really hard to see what's what. I didn't really have any problems with the sound. It's fine, but nothing really stood out either. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you said there. You know, it had the very similar feel to Autonauts in terms of the graphics, very voxely Minecraft style. To reiterate what you said, I play in almost a max zoomed out setting to where sometimes I hit the mouse wheel and it zooms out to the to the overhead map view, right? So I'm like one notch in from that where I'm usually playing. One nice thing is the characters, and this is part of gameplay as well, but I just realized that, you know, you could put buildings up against each other and the colonists can still walk through them so they don't have to give them a direct walking path so they don't have to walk around your buildings they can walk through them in many cases so that does help yeah that was really nice and then the next category is the weight i thought it was a very simple game you know there's no real pressure your colonists can't die there's no combat to it there's very little conflict the difficulty with it is managing those finite resources you could sell items so like you can buy two iron ore to make an iron ingot and sell that iron ingot for more than the cost to buy two iron ore so you can infinitely make more money and and infinitely import iron ore from other sources so there's no real pressure to the game other than figuring out the layout to managing around the small space that you have to build Yeah, it's a pretty lightweight game. There's not much time pressure. A lot of the resources are renewable. You can buy a lot of things. And like you said, there's not really much combat. I've never encountered it. Um, I know there's an achievement for something called getting or getting something called 
combat drones, 10 of them, I think. I don't know what they actually do, though. Haven't gotten there. Probably never will. Not sure how in-depth the combat really is. Next up is replayability and modding. It definitely does have mods. I didn't try any, but it's built to, to use them. There's nothing that looks too crazy in it. Um, it's got procedurally generated worlds, which is nice for replayability. And I could definitely see myself going back for a random map. The campaign maps, I, I'm not sure about, but I assume are also randomly generated with certain parameters. Um, but I couldn't see myself playing the campaign again from the start. It's just too much tedium going through it. Yeah, and as you were saying, the game is built to use mods. Uh, it is integrated with Steam Workshop. So that does help. And when I looked it up earlier, they're currently sitting at 83 mods at the time of this recording. Most of them are around adding some art, some lo some localization for languages, and then things like bigger depots or doing different shape depots. Because in the game, you have a 2x2 two two or a 3x3 three three or 4x4. Four four, and this allows you to do like a 2x4, a 2x3, and... There was a couple other mods for increasing those stack sizes. So I think if I were to dive back into the game, I would probably enable some of the stack size ones for sure. So on to the overall scores. I played for 15 hours so far, so I'm still in the initial impressions phase. I will definitely be revisiting this in the future to give it another run through and to get further into the actual automation portion, which I think is going to be more for me. At this time, however, for the taste of game that I love, I give it about a 6 out of 10, but I do see that score increasing as I play it more. If you're a person who's a big fan of the voxel style graphics, or if you've played other games like Autonauts, I think this is a game that would definitely be up your alley, and I would suggest you pick it up. And I'm still astounded that a single developer created a game like this. It definitely hits above its weight class, and... I would definitely put it up there with some of the better games in the genre. So Steam tells me I've played this one for about six hours. Uh, I did have a lot of fun playing this one. I know we were pretty hard on it throughout the whole podcast, but it was difficult to put the game down when I was playing it. I definitely enjoyed my time with it. Sometimes I just wished it were a little more focused. Uh, I, I, It's a good game. I wanted it to be a great game. It certainly has some potential there. Um, it was just just didn't quite make it over that line to being great like a DSP or Factorio. I'll probably come back later and try a random world at some point when I'm between games. If I can just stretch out and not be chasing certain items. Now that I understand how the supply chains work, I might be able to get around the lack of space and set up some really cool automation stuff. Uh, my score that I'm giving it right now is a six out of ten but we should probably revisit this one later once we've had a chance to get a little more time with it in a future episode. I look forward to that. In terms of where you can find the game, Cuba Factorium appears to only be available on Steam. I couldn't find it on Epic or Good Old Games. They have a website. There's a Discord. They have most social media. It's not all the most active, but it's there. So if you... Um, you know, look it up. The website links to everything they've got and just find it on Steam. All right. So keeping with the request from our humble audience so far, 
we're going to do round two of what's in your glass. So, Kamal, what are you drinking right now? I've finished my Christmas ale, and I'm drinking another Great Lakes brewery beer, the uh, Dank Demon. It's an Imperial IPA. They seem to have gone through a couple different Imperial IPAs over the years, and this one's not my favorite of them. I liked the previous one, Chill Wave, more. I mean, if something says it's dank, I want it to be really dank, and it's really not as dank as it could be, honestly. But I'm really enjoying it, and after this uh, and the Christmas sale, I'm going to be ready for bed. <laughs> yeah, that's one that I haven't had yet. Nor have so. I. But it sounds like I'm not missing much. <laughs> Whoa. So what's in your glass, Dave? What did you go grab? Um, I grabbed one that's been sitting in my fridge for a while. Uh, last time I visited my family in Ohio, I picked up a few beers. One of them was the North High Brewing Company Society Sour Ale. It's, I would say, a pretty mediocre sour. It's been sitting in my fridge for a long time, and I've not drank it, so clearly it's not that amazing. But uh, after two and a half zombie dusts, I'm... Not really, uh, don't really have that much taste left in my mouth, so it'll do for me right now, but I can't say I'd really recommend it. How about you, Chris? I actually got another Boulevard. Uh, it was like a multi-pack that I had. This is the unfiltered dry hopped wheat this time. So it's dry hopped with Amarillo hops, which is one of my favorite. I use it a lot in home brewing, and it's tasty. You know, it's got a little bit of that Hefeweizen to it, that soft mouthfeel, along with the uh, nice aroma that comes with dry hopped beers. So overall, it's tasty. Uh, both of these were low ABV, so unlike you guys, I don't I haven't been hitting any high ABVs this week. <laughs> but very tasty beer. You're also two hours earlier than us. You've got plenty of time to keep getting drunk. Yeah, two from you and three from Kamal. Outside of the beers, what uh, what games have you been playing the last couple weeks since our last uh, episode? I've been playing a, a little bit of Dyson Sphere program still. It's really hard to put down. I finally reached Mission Accomplished. I still played around a bit more with going deep on technology, getting some of the infinite techs. But then I decided to take a break until the combat update hits. I've also played a little bit of No Man's Sky. An offhand comment from actually Chris's brother. Made me fire it up again, but as usual, I got really into it for a bit and then got tired of it at some point and just stopped playing. And then if anyone else, unlikely, likes farming games, Rune Factory 5 just came out on Switch. Sounds like there are some performance issues, so I'm not actually buying Rune Factory 5 yet. I'm going to wait for a patch to fix some of the performance issues or to have it go on sale from $60 because that's a lot to pay for a game. But in the meantime, I started a new Rune Factory 4S game on my Switch, which is always a fun time. Kamal, what have you been up to? I am still getting into the genre, thanks to you guys. And so I'm still barely past the tutorials in Factorio. And I actually hoped to play a lot more in the last week and ended up getting super busy at work. So I'm still there. But really looking forward to diving back into it because I've been really enjoying what I've done so far. Yeah, and this week, uh, well, I guess the last couple weeks, I was hitting Dyson Sphere program hard. Let it run for a couple days in the background when I was working from home. I mean, I got all the way up to level 125 veins utilization, which is 
a few dozen million white cubes to get that far, something like 36 million white cubes. But yeah, the current cluster is running about 6,400 white cubes per minute, 117,000 hashes per second. So it's cranking out right now. Um, if I get some time, I'm going to expand it, try to get it to about twenty-five to 30,000 white cubes per minute just to keep up with the ever-increasing cost of doing research. And then the last couple of days, just a side discussion that Dave and I had, I saw that Satisfactory had a dedicated server, so I spun that up. Started playing a little bit of Satisfactory in that manner. Uh, they definitely warn you, though, that it's buggy. And I think in the eight hours or so I played in the last couple days of it, it's already crashed to, to desktop on me about six times. So, yeah, it needs a little bit of polish. But every time it crashes, I've submitted bug reports on it. So hopefully they'll get that fixed. And that's with barely but, any multiplayer, right? It's still mostly just you playing on your own server. Yeah, that was playing on my own server with nobody in it, and two of the times it crashed, I was literally sitting there idle in my base doing nothing, actually tabbed away from it when it crashed to the desktop, so there was nothing going. The dedicated server was still up, it saves the game, when, but it was the actual client that was connected, uh, my actual actor session crashed out, which is really weird. Yeah. But I logged in for about 15 seconds yeah. to say hi, but I've also been pretty busy at work the past week or so so haven't had a whole lot of time to play yeah thanks for that i was able to validate that port forwarding was working so that was that was good times so and going off of some feedback from our listeners they asked us if we can go over some tips and strategies or point out some mechanics to the games that we like and how they compare across different games in the genre so a couple of tips that I came up this week. Did you know that you can use the spray coder in Dyson Sphere program in either direction? By default, it tries to lay it in a certain direction, but you can hit, hit R and rotate it on the belt to help give you a little bit of flexibility. And then if you ever use the factoriolab.github.io utility, which helps you plan out uh, the ratios for building out assembly lines, that has also been expanded to work with both Dyson Sphere program and Satisfactory. So if you're ever looking for how many inputs you need to get a certain output across an entire assembly line or to go from raw or to a finished product, this will help you get there. And it's that, really a neat tool. Uh, that is a really cool tool. I'll definitely have to check that out. I've only pretty much had the spray coder apply in, in the direction it goes by default. So that's a, another good tip. And I'll have to check out. The next thing we're going to discuss is a mechanic spotlight of the week. So we're going to, the past few weeks, we've talked about certain mods, but this week we're going to go through a specific mechanic. And the mechanic that we're going to talk about this week is the end game. So games theoretically need an ending. Factory games can really go on forever. Uh, the factory must grow, always and forever. So how do you decide when you're done? It varies wildly from person to person. So in the game itself, is there a specific goal at which point the game itself declares that you're done? Can you keep building after? Is there still conflict? So we're going to talk about a few different games in the genre and how they handle this mechanic. So the first game is Factorio. 
The ultimate goal of the game is to launch the rocket into space. Once you do that, you're presented with an end game screen. However, there is a button that allows you to continue on forever. At that point, you reach what is known as the end game. That al- that's a point where biters nonstop grow, their bases grow, they also evolve and get stronger. So therefore, you have to continue the infinite research. You're upgrading your explosive weapon strength, your energy weapon strength, to be able to combat them getting stronger and sending larger and larger waves. And then outside of the combat portion, there's also infinite research to do mining efficiency. Mines will last longer. You don't have to find as many. Each one produces more ore per mining operation. And then... The biggest problem with Factorio is you can grow your base and expand it, and eventually you're going to hit a UPS and FPS wall where the factory's too big, there's too many sorters, there's too many inserters, whatever it is, that the game just can't keep up and publish enough updates per second to keep the game running smoothly. So then it starts to come down. So at that point, you're stuck with either starting new or trying to optimize that base to fix the UPS wall by switching the style of base that it's on, getting rid of sorters or load balancers, and switching to bot train stations from a normal inserter trains. There's a few things you can do, but eventually in Factoria, you do hit that wall. In Dyson Sphere program, mission accomplished happens when you research a specific endgame technology with Universe Matrix, the most complex science that requires some investment in Dyson Swarm or Sphere to complete. but As with Factorio, you can keep playing well beyond when you've got mission accomplished. Your infinite research kicks in at that point for things like ray receiver efficiency, mining speed, and amount of ore used, or the speed of logistic drones and ships, and your power and speed, and your construction bots as well. Like Chris said, he's reached well over level 100 in mining efficiency, which basically means every mining vein is completely infinite. Um, I haven't gotten nearly that far. There are a number of achievements available in Dyson Sphere program for massive amounts of different research and the size of the Dyson Sphere that are different fun endgame goals you can try to go for once you've uh, finished the game. And then you can continue to expand to other planets and systems, building lots of different Dyson Spheres in them to see just how much power you can harness, how bright your cluster can be on the Milky Way screen in competition with others. So the Milky Way screen in DSP lets you see uh, just how big of a Dyson Sphere different people have built in different seeds of the game. So you can you know, check what seed that you used to randomly generate your map and how other people have done on that same seed in terms of what Dyson Sphere they've built. Um, personally, the seed that I've played the most on, I'm pretty much the only person who ever played on it. I think I've got the only Dyson Sphere on it. But you can sort of tell looking through the Milky Way which spheres people have advertised as really, uh, which seeds people have advertised as really good seeds to build on because they're, you know, can be dozens of people that have played on different seeds yeah i'm with you my seed i'm the only one that's ever played it it was also a randomly generated one i didn't pick or choose one that already existed but yeah it's crazy some of those people have like 25 terawatts which is a really huge amount i think at 6400 white cubes per minute that i'm currently at i'm only 
maybe 300 megawatt of Dyson Sphere power. So nowhere close to those guys yet. Yeah, I think I've got like 20 megawatts or something like that. It's puny. And that was satisfactory. The end game comes after you launch all nine tiers. It's zero through eight. On each of those nine tiers, there's several milestones that you have to meet. Uh, some of them are done at the hub. Some of them are done at the space elevator. But eventually, and I haven't even reached the end game yet. This is one of the few that I haven't. I don't actually know what comes after that. I don't know if you've played that long, Dave. <laughs> Not even a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I think the highest I've reached was tier five, maybe tier six. But I think I finished tier three. Yeah, I got to the point where the uh, oil fields came into play and trying to set those up and extract the different ones. I was right at the point where I could start building the trains in it. So, but I'm active. Yeah, I didn't get to trains. Yeah, but I'm actively playing right now. So hopefully one of these days I will get to the end game. Seems to be a lot more challenging to get to it than Factorio or DSPR. Yeah, it's a lot more tedious to build things along the way. But maybe if we both pitch in on a server that could help a little bit yeah that sounds like a lot of fun but yeah there's there's no achievements to guide your play in satisfactory which is hopefully something they're going to add at some point but building cool buildings is feels like the most interesting thing about late game satisfactory something i haven't done a ton of just because i don't really love the whole first person building thing um, and because also because I haven't unlocked the like jet pack, which seems like it's kind of critical for building really large buildings. Yeah. And there was actually a video I was watching from Coffee Stain the other day where they mentioned the uh, achievements of the game. And they said, would you rather have us continue to work on the game or would you rather have us pause development of the game to put achievements in it? So they said that was the reason there's none in there right now, but there will be eventually once they get to 1.0 release. But technically satisfactory is still in early access so they're still developing it at this time yeah so is dsp and they've got plenty of awesome achievements true but anyways (laughs) no comment (laughs) and then the next two games i haven't got into the end game in either of these yet and i don't know if i will but dave do you have any insight onto the end game yeah i I mean i also haven't really gotten to the end game but just from what I've played so far, uh, you know, we've we talked about Autonauts in our first episode. It's all about colonizing, finishing all the research across the board, making all your colonists happy, all the way up to tier, I believe it's 10. Um, you know, beyond that, you can try and utilize all the different types of goods, even when it's not entirely necessary to get everybody happy. Like, you know, there there are a variety of different types of food, like berries, apples, etc. And you can, you know, you can just use a single version of those. You can build all, all an all berry supply chain and I believe get all the way to the end. But, you know, there are also achievements available with hats and things. If you want to try to get all the different different types of food to make all your colonists happy and clothes are similar. There are different kinds of clothes based on the different uh, raw resources, I believe. But again, we I haven't actually gotten to that point, so maybe I'll maybe I'll get there eventually, and we'll be able to revisit this. And then same with Cuba Factorium, which we talked about. You know, neither of us has finished the campaign. Once you've played that through that, 
you're all about random maps. Um, I'd say it doesn't necessarily have the same allure as many of the others, but you know there there are definitely some some things that you can shoot for in the random maps. But I don't know anything about what sort of your goal is in said random maps, since I haven't played them at all. Chris, I don't know what you saw. Nothing so far. It's just grinding through the research tree right now, which seems to be limited to whenever you unlock a new item, it automatically unlocks things you can use with the item. It's one I'm definitely going to have to get into and see if I can get to the end game on. But at this time, I really don't know what it is. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed the new segments. If you have any suggestions for us, please let us know. You can email us at bottleneckshow at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter as at bottleneck underscore show or check us out on Twitch, The Bottleneck Show. We'll see you next time. And as always, the factory must grow.